Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we concluded our exploration of the testimony given by state's witness Jason Lakowski, one of the armed individuals who was with the defendant on the night of the shootings. On today's episode, we examine the testimonies of two more state's witnesses, DNA analyst Amber Rasmussen and Sarah Hughes, Anthony Huber's great aunt. In questioning these witnesses, we see James Krause make his trial debut for the prosecution. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. After Jason Lakowski steps down from the witness stand, James Krause, a 16-year veteran prosecutor for the Kenosha County DA's office, rises to make his first appearance on behalf of the state in the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Krause bears a passing resemblance to the actor Kevin James of Paul Blart Mall Cop fame. He sports a crew cut and wears a gray suit with a blue striped tie and a white dress shirt. Krause's first witness is Amber Rasmussen, a forensic scientist and DNA analyst for the state of Wisconsin, who is in court to discuss DNA samples collected from both the barrel and the trigger of Kyle Rittenhouse's AR-15 after the shooting. Krause appears to want to use Rasmussen's testimony to guide the jury to the inference that, since neither Anthony Huber's nor Joseph Rosenbaum's DNA was found on Kyle Rittenhouse's weapon, Rittenhouse was never in danger of losing possession of his weapon. In this case, we received three sets of swabs from a firearm, two sets of swabs from an ammunition magazine, and three standard or reference samples from known individuals. What is a standard or reference sample? A standard or reference is a sample that is directly collected from a person, and we use that to establish what that individual's DNA profile is, and we can then use that for comparison to any questioned evidentiary profiles we obtain. And the three standards in this case you received from Joseph Rosenbaum, Anthony Huber, and Kyle Rittenhouse? Yes. Rasmussen then explains the process that she used to analyze these standards. So in this case, what was received were envelopes containing swab boxes, which are small boxes that contain basically a wooden stick with cotton on the end, a long-handled Q-tip. And each of those boxes was marked as having been collected from a different area of either the firearm or from a magazine. In this case, there was one set of swabs marked as having been collected from a trigger, another from a barrel guard, and another from a pistol grip, and then two sets from a magazine. And what we do is we will cut off the cotton portion of that swab, and that is what proceeds in our testing to try to develop a DNA profile. There was DNA detected on all five of those evidentiary items. 
And what did you do once DNA was detected? I attempted to develop a profile from each of those and then attempted to interpret those profiles and make any comparisons to those. Now, for the trigger swab, was there any uh, DNA found on the from the trigger swab? Yes. And who was the source of that DNA? A single source male profile was obtained from the swabs from the trigger and Kyle Rittenhouse is the source of that DNA profile. And uh, what were the findings on the barrel guard? The barrel guard contained a mixture of DNA. So there was DNA present from at least two people. This contained DNA from at least one male. And assuming that there were two people present, I was able to do a comparison to each of the three different individuals in this case. The For the barrel guard, this was a two-person mixture. And assuming there are two people present, we compared two different hypotheses or propositions or explanations for the data. The first explanation is that this DNA profile came from the person of interest in an unknown individual, and the second is it came from two unknown individuals. So am I understanding that there's strong support to exclude Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber on that DNA swa- on that DNA analysis, but very strong support to include Kyle Rittenhouse? Yes. Is it fair to say that's essentially the same findings as the uh, swabs from the barrel guard, but the uh, the numbers and the likelihoods are different? They are similar conclusions, yes. So if I touch this television here briefly, I may or may not leave DNA behind on it. You probably left DNA behind. Whether it was enough to be detectable via our methods is a different question. But if I sat here and touched it for a lo- longer period of time, or if my hands were particularly sweaty, would it be fair to say that there more be, it'd be more likely there'd be enough DNA to test? Yes. Now, we in the courtroom have seen a video that uh, shows Mr. Huber making contact with the firearm that was in question here. How could it be that Mr. Huber makes contact with the firearm and does not leave DNA behind? It, as far as leaving DNA behind or being detected on the samples we received, um, touch DNA, again, can vary. There may have been very little DNA on his hands when he handled that object. It may have been wiped away later. He, the sample may have been exposed to heat or moisture or undergone a duration of time before it was collected, and all of those things will limit the amount of DNA that can be detected. Rittenhouse attorney Corey Sharafasi begins his cross-examination by seeking to undermine the prosecution's suggestion that the DNA evidence shows that neither Huber nor Rosenbaum touched the barrel of Rittenhouse's weapon. Can I ask you, Ms. Rasmussen, when you get a sample to be tested, who tells you what area, in this case, so there's a firearm, right? You test? We did, the DNA unit did not receive the firearm itself in this case. What did you receive? We received swabs that were collected from a firearm. Would you agree that you never got a swab from the barrel of that gun? I, the barrel guard was the closest to my knowledge that was obtained from the barrel of the gun. Do you know what a barrel guard is? 
I do not. You'd agree, however, it's listed barrel guard. There's nothing on here listing barrel of gun. Correct. So if, for example, Joseph Rosenbaum touched the barrel of that gun, we'll never know that, right? I have no way of determining it. Sharafsi then shows the witness a photograph, Exhibit 45, that appears to show one person on the ground holding an AR-15 by the bottom of the weapon and another person holding the barrel of the same weapon. At Sharafsi's request, the prosecution stipulates that the person on the ground is Kyle Rittenhouse and that the person holding the barrel is Anthony Huber. Uh, in Exhibit 45, I see a person walking the opposite direction of the whoever's taking the photo and a person on the ground and they are there's an object connecting them the person on the ground appears to be holding on to the object okay so Ms. Rasmussen if I told you that person standing there is Anthony Huber okay that we agree on that you agree that it appears Anthony Huber is touching that and we agree that's a gun you'd agree that Anthony Huber is touching that gun right appears to be he's touching that gun? It appears to be. Okay. Now, in the areas, so the fact there's no DNA present in the areas you were asked to look at doesn't mean that the person didn't actually touch the firearm. We see it, right? Correct. Sharafasi then shows the witness another photograph from a different angle. The fact that, I don't know where that is on the gun, but the fact that the DNA isn't there. Everybody thinks DNA is this thing that proves everything. You'd agree that we can see he's actually touching the firearm. Um, what is your question? Well, the fact that it's not present, and I don't know where on the gun that is, but the fact that DNA is not present in any of the areas of the firearm for Mr. Huber doesn't mean that he didn't actually touch it. Correct. Whether DNA was detected from an individual or not does not mean that they did not touch that item. And the, I think you said, and tell me if I have this right, the shorter amount of time someone touches something, the less likely there'll be DNA which you can compare or, or find. Yes, the less an item is handled, the less I would expect there to be an opportunity for DNA to transfer. Was there ever a follow-up request by law enforcement to test any other uh, areas of a gun, of that gun? Not to my knowledge. That may not have gone directly to me, though it may have been to someone else at the crime laboratory. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Prosecutor James Krause next calls Sarah Hughes to the stand. Hughes is Anthony Huber's great aunt, and Krause begins by asking her about her relationship with Huber. And would you have considered yourself close to Mr. Huber? Yeah, even when he was a child, we had kind of a special connection. Um, but uh, I was born in Kenosha, I moved away, came back in 2011, and from that time, uh, we were became even closer. Now, you said you had a special connection. What do you mean by that? Um, he was, uh, he was a redhead. I used to be a redhead. <laughs> um, he was, you know, you know, his immediate family, they were all blondes. So he kind of gravitated to me at family gatherings and things, even though when he was a child, I really only saw him, you know, holidays and when I visited Kenosha, so, you know, four or five times a year. But even then he would gravitate towards me because I could talk to him about things he was interested in. I mean, we shared interest in art and music and computers, um, Star Wars, you know, things that little boys like to talk about. And even back then, did you ever know Anthony Huber to use a skateboard? Always, always. Um, the skateboard, I must confess, was kind of an annoyance to me because um, he would, when I first moved back here in 2011, uh, we had a family gathering, we had a dinner uh, in the winter, and I lived close to Panoyer Park, and um, Anthony arrived in a car, he, there was a foot of snow on the ground, he walked into my house with a skateboard and was going to, you know, skate on my laminated floors. And I said, you can't skate in the house. And where are you going to skate anyway? Because there's snow on the ground. And he, you know, picked up a skateboard. He went out and he found a place to skate in the snow. I mean, he was, he always, even, even shortly before he died, you know, when I would take him somewhere, he would know I was picking him up in a car. He was going to go home in a car. He would still have the skateboard in case there was a chance, you know, there was an interesting parking lot somewhere, and he could go out and skate. To the best of your knowledge, was that his main mode of transportation if he wasn't getting rides from yes. you or someone else? Yes. He skated uh, sometimes to jobs, If you know, if I wasn't available to take him there or one of his friends. Um, he would, uh, you know, skate home frequently, quite long distances. Some of the temp jobs that he had were out by Jelly Belly and, um, you know, out by I-94, and if people don't know where that is. Um, Anton's, I mean, that's like Cooper Road or something. And so miles, he would go on a skateboard. Did Mr. Huber have any special interest uh, in the Jacob Lake shooting or the or the events that followed? Yes. And what was that special interest? He told me that he knew Jacob. Um, he, he, uh, we, we had, Anthony would sometimes want to go with me out to Petrifying Springs. Um, there's a memorial bench there that is dedicated to my son who I... passed away. And uh, after Jacob was shot, Anthony wanted to go out there with me. And 
while we were there, uh, he told me he had known Jacob. Um, I frankly don't recall how well he knew him. I mean, it was, it was, it just sticks in my memory that he said he knew him. That was the reason why we went out that day. Um, he knew that Jacob had children. He knew, you know, he, I remember him mentioning a few things about Jacob's life. Prosecutor Krauss then asks Hughes about the day of August 25th, 2020. Uh, did you see him any time that day? Yes. Uh, why did you see him? He stopped uh, with Hannah um, late in the afternoon, uh, maybe 3.30, 4 o'clock. They were on their way to uh, do a lot of errands, and uh, he stopped to, I, I think I gave him some mail, and uh, he was on his way to a cell phone store. I now, is this something that you would do? Would you occasionally give him money? Mm-hmm. And did Anthony, did he have a driver's license? Did he know how to drive? Yeah, he got his driver's license the day of his birthday, the Friday before. Okay. And who would go practice driving with him and things of that nature? That was me. You mentioned a Hannah. Who's Hannah? Hannah was his girlfriend. Krauss then references the video of the shooting of Huber and Grosskreutz, collected by an independent reporter named Brendan Guttenschwager, who operates under the social media handle BG on the scene. We've seen video here, uh, and you may have seen video as well, that Anthony Huber uh, ran towards Kyle Rittenhouse while Kyle Rittenhouse was armed. Um, were you surprised, when you heard about that, were you surprised by his actions? Yeah. Had you ever seen Anthony Huber run towards danger? Yes. Sustained. As to which ground? Both. Well, maybe. Certainly on the second ground. Having a custom. Uh, uh, we've, we've heard nothing about having a custom evidence in this case. Pardon me? We've heard nothing about having a custom evidence. I think I can rehabilitate. Well, um, first off, you don't need to comment on the ruling. Secondly, uh, there are different rules. And we've been talking about this all along. There are different rules. Let's take a break. Please don't talk about the case. Lunch is here. The defense objection asserts that Krauss is seeking to elicit inadmissible habit and custom testimony. That is, testimony that suggests that because Huber acted in a certain way on one occasion means that he likely acted that same way on another occasion. Such evidence is generally inadmissible as character evidence. After the lunch break, Judge Bruce Strader addresses the jury and tells them that the state decided to withdraw the question. We had some additional discussion on the issues that were pending, and uh, it has been decided uh, to, uh, the state has decided to withdraw the question which was asked. The defense declines the opportunity to cross-examine the witness, and so with that, we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. We will, of course, discuss the interrogation strategies of both the prosecution and the defense during our weekly recap. And join us on our next episode as we explore the testimony of Carrie Ann Swart, the fiancé of the late Joseph Rosenbaum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You can find more information about this trial at our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.